What if this is as good as it gets? TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Crema. Happy New Year, everyone. This is our first broadcast of 2022. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, Manson Mitchell, once again, starting the new year off in your ears and very happy to be there. We also want to say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board and attached to that hello, our first chance to work together this new year. We want to say belatedly, happy birthday, Benny. Ah, thank you very much. Woo! Bringing it to you live. <laughs> Straight from the club. You know what? That's a, that's a wonderful celebratory sound. If only we heard it more often on behalf of the Kraken. Oh, but what right? are you going to do? <laughs> hey, so for my birthday, my girlfriend got me tickets. So I'll be going to oh. my first professional hockey game in the Seattle area in April. So, uh, oh, my. Yeah. Super stuff. What a great that's gift. Great. Who are uh, they playing? It'll be against Calgary Flames. Excellent, oh, okay. excellent. The oh. Lightning played the Flames last night, and I don't know oh. what happened to the game. I left it. <laughs> it got that, a bit late. Did you fall she asleep went... or something? Like... <laughs> <laughs> no, I went to another program. <laughs> I must yeah. have not been doing very good. I like the way NHL teams show class <laughs> right. by honoring a former player. Oh, yeah. Well, one, and I can't remember the man's name. Coleman last night. Call Mr. Coleman. There he is with Calgary now, but he won two Stanley Cup championships in a row with the Tampa Bay Lightning and then was traded away. But they gave him a moment when think- they during a break in the game to, to circle around and receive the applause and the roars of the crowd because they still appreciate him. It was like a coming home. Yeah, that's super nice that teams do that. There's other players that have left a sour taste in other teams, you know, mouths and so forth yeah. but regardless of a championship but that's really cool i think it's people need to just buck up and 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 deserve that mm-hmm. on both sides i mean that's just super yeah. good good sportsmanship classy yeah very, i think very. so too in yeah. fact that's what i like about the nhl mm-hmm. fighting aside um you know when they <laughs> get through with a, a series they all shake hands yeah i mean you don't often see that in a sporting event at some that's bars true. you do though <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you usually well, have yes. after a fight that everyone buys everybody drinks. You're like, yeah, put it by. It's no big deal. I was right. You were wrong. Type of thing. <laughs> yeah, let's go back a moment here. Now we have a wonderful guest to bring on, so we don't want to take up too much time. But let's go back to what you said a moment ago, Benny. Despite a championship, there being sour feelings and an end to a relationship. But enough about Antonio Brown. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's... we. We who live near an hour away from where the Tampa Bay Bucks play championship caliber football, mm-hmm. they had a guy, well, the team is on the field. They're getting ready to start the second half, and Antonio Brown, for reasons unknown at the time, strips off his jersey, his T-shirt, and, and triumphantly exits the stadium with one finger raised. It was his index finger this time. Yes. there And, it, and just marches vaingloriously off the field. And the coach, not surprisingly, after the game said, Antonio Brown is no longer a buck. Yeah, it's a wild storyline, and it's still kind of unfolding. Both parties have said their pieces, and yeah, I know Antonio Brown was saying, yeah, he's number one to all the fans. All the fans are saying, you're number one for us, <laughs> type of thing, going back and forth. <laughs> and apparently there's some others. He was playing hurt, and also he wasn't 
telling them to go in. There's a money issue there. I mean, so many levels of, of newsworthy stories coming about. So we're not really sure exactly what happened and who is at fault, if there is a fault. But I hope he does better. I mean, it's a mental game, and we know that's a, a big deal for a lot of NFL players. Very well said. So uh, and it's going to be a crazy playoff mm-hmm. season in the yeah. NFL. We will just have to see. And today we get to see, courtesy of Zoom, a lady, Jenny Mannion, whom we got to know during 2021. And we made an appointment early. It was late in 2021, but early as our scheduling goes to make sure we had her in the first week of January 2022. Jenny Mannion graduated from Penn State University with the BA in psychology and has always been interested in how the mind works. She began her own transformation by healing herself of several chronic diseases in three weeks. Since healing, Jenny has become an alternative healing practitioner, mind-body mentor, and inspires people to connect with their inner power to create the life they desire. She lives in upstate New York, and her website, which we'll be sure to give out again, is JennyManion.com. Welcome for the second time to Manson Mitchell. Jenny Mannion, good to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me, guys. I'm so grateful to be back. And Today is the day, the first opportunity I had to book you for the show. Suzanne, was there something else you were going to say? No. That's it? Okay. No, you said you wanted to say hello at the outset. And to ask the question that I like to call the softball question that eases us into the conversation. And I think beyond that, you're going to be lead chair, Suzanne. But I wanted to get this in. And Jenny, I didn't even tell her what I was going to do. I just told her I had something in mind. And it is this, courtesy of your Facebook post right around New Year's. This was so perfect for our show. Everybody seemingly has their stack of New Year's resolutions. Oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm going to quit that. But Jenny Mannion decided, and this is the creativity of the woman and her initiative, she decided to do it a different way. Tell us about that, Jenny. Yes, I think resolutions set us up for talking to ourselves in a mean way and disempower us because if we set resolutions and the first time maybe we don't exercise when we said we wanted to exercise three times a week, we insult ourselves, we feel badly, and we can kind of just give up the whole thing. So I like to choose a word for the year. And that's just kind of the energy I want to bring in. So maybe I'll look at the year before. I That's what I did this past year. I looked at this past year. I'm like, what do I want to bring in more of? And my word for this year is dance, because dance has always been a part of my life. But, you know, with the last two years, I haven't gotten much of a chance to dance. So I know dance brings me joy. And I got uh, dance lessons for my boyfriend and I to do together. So we're doing those online and having a blast doing those. So really asking yourself, what do you want to bring in more of? Last year, my word was alignment. It could be peace. It could be love. It could be joy. It could be abundance. Whatever it is that you want to bring in more of and asking yourself, like, maybe what's one thing I can do to bring me closer to that, you know, but it's easier to have an energy that you want to bring forth rather than setting strict guidelines for yourself and kind of setting yourself up for maybe disempowerment or feeling badly about yourself. 
Well, I love that. And it's like you spoon fed the first thing that I wanted to talk to you about. <laughs> you might have already answered the question. And to that end, I actually think I'm going to read this paragraph because I said I might read a couple of paragraphs today. The negative thoughts you say to yourself can seem so powerful, but the good news is that they can be replaced. It may simply take a little time and patience. I promise it won't take as long to replace them as the numerous years the negative thoughts have been in place. When you begin to choose your thoughts instead of just having them on automatic pilot, they are so much more powerful than those programmed thoughts. You can see your life change pretty quickly by eliminating one negative self-belief at a time. For example, you might have grown up thinking, hearing, or feeling you weren't smart enough to do something. Now you truly understand that you have the capacity to excel at many different challenges and tasks. If that thought in itself brings up resistance, take a second to think of all you have accomplished in your life that required thought and action in removing that negative belief and replacing it with kind, loving thoughts and encouraging words to yourself. You will not only say you are smart enough, but will feel that shift inside you and the resonance of truth in it rather than the disappointment and feeling of lack of power the first belief created. I read that and I was I was off to the races, Jenny, because <laughs> you know when when we're talking about resolutions, I mean there is that overwhelming failure of oh my gosh, I know I I want to exercise seven days a week and I know I won't. And it, it's like you're really setting yourself up. The other thing that I was thinking about, which which I thought was very powerful here, was. Uh, taking charge of your own thoughts so that you're not finding out who you are from other people. That's very disempowering too, isn't it? There's so much I want to address with that. First of all, I've never had anyone read my book to me, so thank you. (laughs) (laughs) All new experience. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, we... Being mindful is the most powerful tool we can give ourselves, really paying attention to how we're speaking to ourselves, because we don't want to get our self-worth from either repeated stories we're telling ourselves from past, maybe our parents or past failed relationship, or we don't want to inform ourselves from that. And we don't want to inform ourselves from something someone else is saying about us either. You hear about like people finding that relationship oh they complete me no you should be complete on your own you can complement each other you know that's that's wonderful and add to each other's lives but we don't want to be dependent on someone else for our self-worth that has to come from within us it is nice when you have in your background good and supportive people but i i think it's kind of a rarity there's a a program that I've been watching. I've become very enamored of it on a number of levels of which I will not go into right now. It's called Life Below Zero. And it's about living in the wilds of Alaska without all of our uh, things that we have that make our life so easy. And there is a gentleman in there, uh, a Native American who is showing his children Native American ways no matter what it is that they do, he will say to them, 
oh, you did such a great job. Oh, you did really well. Oh, we're going to have food tonight because you caught the fish. I mean, he is so encouraging. And I look at him and I just want to cry. Those children have such a great support system in their father telling them how smart they are and how well they do everything. And we need to be our own parent. We need to be the person who says that we're doing a great job. Because, you know, if you don't get that from an early age, and a lot of us didn't, um, we need to tell ourselves that as adults to have a happier life. Right? Absolutely. And it is challenging to look back at some of the ways maybe people spoke to us, but knowing that does not make us who we are unless we allow it to. So knowing that our own inner dialogue does create that empowerment or disempowerment and where we focus our attention. And I love that. Now I want to watch that show. Thank you for telling me that. I love inspiring shows uh, and we're always looking for more. So that sounds wonderful. And yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough to have a mom that represented unconditional love, but later in life, there were teachers that said mean things to me, or there were relationships, you know, and we take those, unfortunately, we will hold on to those negative comments so much stronger than we will the compliments. Compliments, sometimes it's even hard to truly receive. We'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, don't really want to receive it in. We just kind of brush it off. But yet if we insult ourselves or if someone else insults us, we will repeat that to ourselves. So it really is our own ability to say, you know what, I'm not going to repeat that message. That's not going to empower me. And focusing on yeah, something that you love about yourself. We all have lovable aspects about ourselves. And one of the things I do have clients do is find something they're grateful for themselves for every single day. And it can be something little like I got in the shower and washed my hair today, or, you know, I went out for a walk or I made a meal for someone, something that can seem little, but it's not little. It's something that you did for yourself or someone else. And it does deserve that recognition. Yes. Um, yeah, that, that encouragement, that recognition, that acknowledgement of ourselves somewhere else in the book, I don't have the page right in front of me now, but somewhere in there, you say, you know, every time we do something wrong, something that went amiss, we, we have, we hear a lot of comments about that, you know, oh, I'm so stupid. Oh, I'm so clumsy. Oh, I'm so, you know, whatever. But when we do the right stuff, we don't hear a lot of comments about that. And I guess that's why I was so struck by this uh, father, uh, Rico, who is always telling his children, oh, you did such a good job. And, and I enjoy hearing him say that. I mean, I, I just, I love the way he talks to his children uh, about what a good job they're doing. And as I'm watching it, you know, I'm, I'm saying to myself, we need to do that. We need to do that for other people. We need to do that for ourselves. Uh, have those words of encouragement. I would like to know, and I'm getting into terms now, Jenny, what is your concept for there are many for the term higher self? When you speak in terms of addressing or acknowledging or seeking to contact your higher self, what are you really meaning by that? 
I mean that there is a part of us that is energy and and soul, basically. We have our mind, we have our logical mind that likes to talk and go on and on about the past stories and what we have done, what we haven't done. But at the core, we are love. And that really is our higher self. We we are fearful because we are afraid for ourselves. That's our higher self coming in and saying, wait, that's, you know, that's something scary. It's, it's okay. You know, how do we connect in with that love? We can't connect in if we're constantly plugged in (laughs) to different things and really numbing that voice or, or not allowing that voice to speak to us. It's through meditation. It's through times in nature. It's through the shower. If you don't have your mind busy in the shower, that's one of the times I make my clients meditate because usually our mind's all over the place, but in the shower, you can take some deep breaths and just a lot of people will receive guidance in the shower. So tapping into that, that quiet, it's usually a quiet voice, our voice of intuition that will speak in a couple of words, perhaps a little bit of guidance but really that part that's unconditional love. And I feel like when we're born, we're that, you know, but our stories get in the way, our, how we're raised gets in the way. So many things we start doing more and more. I mean, you, you see a little kid and they're imagining things and they're in their own little, they're in their own little world because they haven't had all these restrictions put on them. We become very, very serious. And in tapping into your higher self, you just tap into your joy love and and passion and it makes you feel more secure in a world that's you know feeling a little challenging these days i love that i like the higher self to me and i think there may be as many definitions of a term like that as there are people offering them or contemplating them but for me the higher soul is the part of myself that if i use the colloquial term resides in heaven while I, as Gary Mance, you as Jenny Mannion, we've got Suzanne Mitchell over here. I don't know where Benny's coming from, but he's probably <laughs> watching some tape from some old football game there, but that's what gets him going. So God bless him. When we, when we look at our lives and we're just doing life day to day, we are down here being spirits. Yes, we've all heard it. Being spirits, having a human experience, but I'm always curious about what purpose it serves in terms of our soul growth with our higher self up there in another dimension of life, awaiting on our discovery of sacred principles that can actually be put into practice. I love that. Yeah, and I've never heard that definition, but I do, yeah, I do see that connection and we are here to learn, you know, and I think our higher self doesn't have that judgment. Oh, they're not doing a good enough job. They're not doing things fast enough. You know, that's not, our higher self just knows, you know, earth, Earth is a learning school. We're meant to have those experiences. And sometimes those ones that we consider the toughest experiences are the ones that we have the most growth during and after. The crisis door, as Gary calls it. I didn't mention at the outset, so I will mention it into the interview here, that we uh, have read A Short Path to Change, which is a book that you wrote, 30 Ways to Transform Your Life a short path to change. And so I've been um, getting my ideas from that book. I didn't give the name of the uh, book at the outset. When we're talking about having um, positive thoughts, and it doesn't take as long to embed 
a positive thought as it was to, for the years that you were living the negative thoughts. A lot of people, first of the year, will turn to affirmations. But you had an interesting caution about affirmations that I don't think I heard put quite the way that you put it. And it was a caution to be careful about your affirmation for what you might be attracting. So I wanted you to say a few words about that. That's from page 144. I wasn't going to read it. I think there's a, there's a few different things with affirmations. I, I do love affirmations. If they are aligned with you, I feel like some people get in trouble with saying, if you're in debt and you're going to lose your house and you're saying I'm a millionaire, I don't feel that is an affirmation in your highest good, because I feel like you're going to meet so much subconscious resistance that you can attract actually more debt. So really having, I always say the comfort zone for me with an affirmation is about 80 to 90% makes you feel good, but 10 to 20% a little uncomfortable because it's something that you're wanting to embody. And maybe there is a little resistance, but it's not this overwhelming, you know what? That's not true. When I was healing, if I would have said I'm healed, my body would have been like, yeah, right. (laughs) You're not, you're in vain. But instead I said, I'm working on my healing every day. And that was reality for me. I could work on my healing every day. So really being mindful of the affirmations that you choose. Do they feel mostly comfortable for you, but maybe leave a little room for growth and really honoring that being truthful. You know, if saying you're a millionaire, I mean, unless you're, you know, totally detached from reality and uh, it's really just not going to be a positive outcome. I don't see how it can be a positive outcome because your subconscious is going to really show you all the ways that you're not a millionaire. If, if you're right, that was just it with the, I, with the idea of what you want being so extremely different from your current reality that, uh, every time you bring up the subject, every time the subject of money comes up or health or career or whatever, whatever it is that you're wanting to be improved and better in your life if every time you bring it up, you have that what you called subconscious resistance, then it can almost be making the subconscious resistance stronger. And I hadn't heard that before. But I thought that's really the disconnect when you say I'm a happy millionaire. (laughs) And and you're incredibly in debt. And you know, there's no way you're anywhere near being a millionaire. It's that idea that it reinforces the fact that you don't have that. And, and so then, then you're attracting more of you don't have that. So there is a lot of that, you know, law of attraction, I think, that's, that's in those affirmations. And, and I like the way you kind of make it as real as you can for yourself. It, it, you want to stretch, but you don't want to lie. Exactly. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying, instead of saying I'm healed, I'm working on healing. Yeah. So instead of saying I'm a millionaire, I'm becoming a closer to being a millionaire every day. I mean, there there is a way to say it that that will make it uh, easier to accept and, and not rejected so much by your subconscious mind. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We were talking over our breakfast coffee, Suzanne, and we said we were going to ask Jenny about this because we are talking about the mechanics of affirmations and thus of manifestation. Do you find room in your thought life and maybe even your prayer life for what are commonly known as denials? I don't mean being in denial, like uh, denial isn't just a river in Egypt. I'm talking about denial as an as a proactive way of disassociating yourself from anything or anyone who does not serve your best and highest good, who legitimately needs to be excluded from your life. There are people that will not complain. Oh, Jerry and Suzanne, did we lose you there? Hmm. What we're going to do here, uh, Jennifer, let's go and just take a quick break a little earlier and uh, we'll be right back with more from uh, Manson Mitchell. Sounds good. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Tell your friends about Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Jenny Mannion. She's written several books, I believe. The one that I've been reading is A Short Path to Change, 30 Ways to Transform Your Life. People, if Jenny would like, uh, Jenny, if people would like to find out more about you, your books, what you're up to, your thoughts, where is the best place for them to do that? That would be JennyManion.com, J-E-N-N-Y-M-A-N-N-I-O-N.com. 
Excellent. Excellent. Anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? By How many books do you have, by the way? You've got a trove out there. <laughs> I only have one that I have had published by a publisher by myself. The rest have been collaborative books. Oh, very good. Very and, good. Oh, and I have an ebook too that I did on poems on the chakras. Oh, very oh, good. A lot of people are interested in chakras. So they can find all that at jennymanion.com, right? Yes. Are you on social media? Facebook, I am on Twitter. social media, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Yep. Okay. The creature right. of social media, as it were. As it were. Okay. <laughs> I think we got it all out now. Excellent. And you wanted to hear the answer about denials. Yeah. Here, I, I mean, you know, is there room for denials when you're praying for something or someone? So the way I have kind of taken on affirmations is that they are most most powerful in the affirmative way of saying it. So for example, when I was uh, trying to manifest a relationship, instead of saying he is not a jerk, I was like, he is, he is responsible. He is a good guy. So I do believe in the putting things in the positive at the same time though. um, It is very important to recognize in your life what you do not want. And Gary had mentioned like relationships that aren't serving you anymore. Like that is a very important part of self-love and self-care. And I know people can think of self-care as like bubble baths and long walks and stuff like that, but it is also really important to, I love Jim Rohn's quote, we become like the top five people we spend the most time around really taking a look at those people that you spend time around and are they filling you up with joy and inspiration or are they draining all of your life force energy? And how do you negotiate that? There are ways to set healthy boundaries and really honoring yourself and your own energy is most important. Honoring your energy is most important. And it helps, I've found, if you understand what that energy means to you, how do you identify with it? And where do you intend to spend that energy? What do you always say, Suzanne? You get 24 hours a day. You get so many. You wake up with a hundred units every morning. How are you going to spend your hundred units of energy every day? You see, this is thoughtful living. I love it. (laughs) And, And when you are depleted of some of your units of energy, do you have a way to get some units back again? You might have one conversation on the phone where you feel like your energy is being depleted, but then you might have another conversation where it's joyful and happy and you feel like you're getting some of your good energy back again. So there are things that take away our energy. There are things that give us energy. And I suppose there are things that even do it simultaneously, uh, giving and receiving so that they're both happening at once. But, you know, at the end of the day, are you just entirely spent? And, you know, is that where you want to be? Maybe give away all your good energy, use up your hundred units and then get a hundred more while you're sleeping. I don't know. I love that. I haven't heard it put like that, but I think that is a, it's a good way for people to look at it and take an assessment. Okay. I did, you know, I went to that class that made me feel great. Or I was around this person and that made me feel great. I was around this person that didn't make me feel so good. It is really important to recognize what fills you up and what depletes you. 
Yes. And what we're, we're, we're trying to do is manifest the good life, the best life, the best life we can have. And one of the things that you talk about in the book is manifesting. And you, you say in the book that you really shouldn't, if you cling to what you want and how you want it, you send out two signals. First, you don't trust it's going to be given to you. And secondly, you know better than the universe what it is and when it is and how it should happen. And you say that's not a really a good, I, a good way to manifest. And, and why is that, Jenny? There are so many other opportunities than what we can see. We are very logical beings and we like to think of, okay, well, I have this skill. That means I can just do this job but we don't see that maybe there are other potentials out there. And in really keeping our, so when I have a client that wants to manifest a job, I will not say, I won't say like, you need to put down every single little detail. No, it should be a broad thing. What do you want to bring to this job? What positive characteristics of yourself do you want to express? Do you want flexible hours? You know, what's important? Do you want to be home with your kids for dinner? Like what's really important, so you give the universe a little wiggle room to work, because if we're so stringent, maybe that isn't in our highest good. I had, I had, you know, one client that when he didn't get a job interview, he'd go and like research, why didn't he get the job interview? And it was so holding on so tightly, maybe you didn't get that job interview because there's something better, you know, tomorrow that you're going to find or the next week. So really having this trust and letting go instead of telling the universe, you know what, I know best. And you know what? We really don't. We're human. You know, we, we only right. see a very small percentage of the possibilities out there. And it is sometimes in letting go that the miracles can happen and handing it over. I mean, if you are holding on to something so tightly, ask God, love, universe, whatever word you resonate with to just please, you know, let you think about it a little less. I love Richard Dots has this worry method, like, worry for five minutes a day. And then after that, say, you know what? I worried about that already. I'm not putting my energy there anymore because after oh, five minutes, yeah. you're going down the negative spiral. You're not going to come up with any kind of inspirational thought from that moment and from that energy. So better to, yeah, go down the rabbit hole, worry for five minutes. But after that, be like, you know what? I'm done. And I'm going to move on to something that is going to move me forward today or something that makes me feel good, something like you said, Suzanne, that's going to replace some of that energy. A couple of things to be said there. It's a wonderful technique. And the first time I ever read it, it was in a book called Your Erroneous Zones, which I still maintain. I may get some hate mail over this, but I still say that it was the second book that Wayne Dyer ever wrote. And it's still the best that he ever wrote. Way back early in his career, I thought he said pretty much all that he needed to say. Now, people who are much more intensely metaphysical would take issue with that. And that's an argument to be had. But let me tell you, if you want sound practical advice on how to live successfully and rationally using both hemispheres of your brain so that you can be analytical and creative, sometimes simultaneously working in concert, you might want to read that book or reread it because it came out in the 70s, Your Erroneous Zones. One of the things Wayne Dyer says in that book is, if you need to worry, 
right? You just can't stop compulsively worrying. Allow yourself five minutes a day or whatever. If you want to splurge, make it 10 minutes. There, allow an allotted time where you do nothing else. You don't answer the phone. And uh, this was in the era before emails and texts, but don't do things that distract you during the five or 10 minutes you devote to worry and all of the, all of the anxiety that goes with that. When that period is done, you can even use an hourglass if you want to, or an egg timer, whatever you need. When that time is up for that day, that's it. You've used up your worry time. You can pick it up again tomorrow. And behaviorally, what Wayne Dyer, the psychologist, was discovering was that after a time, and it's usually a short time, people just give that up because they see the uselessness of worry as opposed to mature contemplation, rational analysis, uh, showing evidence of critical thinking skills, all that good stuff, but that it just didn't seem appropriate after a while to keep setting aside time to feel bad, to feel anxious. And I thought, look at that simple exercise. That could help change someone's life. Absolutely. And the second thing I wanted to say is... I would love for you to tell us a bit more about this Richard Dots person, because I have a few of his books in my Kindle and I've got a library. I'm one of those guys. Oh, that looks good. Oh, that looks good. And then I have to get to them eventually, hopefully. Richard Dots seems to have made a self-help reputation as a bit of a guru by using the platform of Kindle to get the word out with his various books in an affordable, accessible way. And that's about all I know about him. I think that is a ghost. I don't even think that's his real name. I've kind of like leaned like he's a professor somewhere. And he has, I don't even know how many books he has out on Kindle, but that is how I found him. And there are a lot of books that come up that are short. They might be like a hundred pages, but they're filled with information and little bits of wisdom and exercises to use that are really easy. Very good. And they're all about living life more abundantly. You know, uh, uh, talking about, um, you know, bits of wisdom and and being practical and living uh, an easier life. I didn't want to end this hour without you're talking a little bit about mini goals, because uh, when I got to that part of the book where you, you talked about, you know, having mini goals. This came up in a conversation two days ago with uh, a friend of mine who set her intentions for the new year, not resolutions, but some new intentions. And rather than having some very big grandiose things, they were very small things. She wanted to succeed at small things. And I applauded her about that. And then it was like right out of your book. So I wanted to talk to you about the value of mini goals. We need encouragement. And sometimes if we look at our life as a whole, we can want to set goals in every area of what our life physically in relationships, emotionally, mentally, we want to learn more. And it can become very overwhelming if we look at the big picture of all the things that we would like to change. So I have people focus on one or two areas. And then what is one step you can take forward in one area? One little step. Okay, I want to start an exercise program. Well, 
maybe you start off by walking around the block in the next week. You just set a goal. You know what? One day this week, I'm going to walk around the block. Like just setting those little goals to get you going and giving yourself that gratitude that you did that. And a lot of times the next step will appear like not again, giving the universe the wiggle room to, to have your whatever it is manifest for you in that way, or perhaps an even greater way. And by taking the mini goals, you're kind of taking a step and you're like, okay, this feels okay. It feels comfortable. Can I go a little further? What's the next step? But you're not pushing yourself or forcing yourself because as humans, we do, we self-sabotage. And if we push ourselves too fast, we are going to probably boomerang backwards. So really taking those steps, being comfortable and then taking the next step. Yeah, I like the I like the idea of the the mini goals because sometimes I think we our ideas do become too grandiose. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk every day, you know, seven days a week forever. Well, <laughs> that would be ridiculous. And and if you can start out with that one short walk one day a week and then build up to two and I think you're building the muscle, not just of your physical self, you're building the muscle of uh, success. I can do this. I already have shown that I can do this and maybe I can do a little bit more. So I think that stretching into bigger and bigger goals comes from the success of the smaller goals and, and saying, yes, I've done that. I've done that. And then, and then can I do a little bit more? You know, I I like that idea. So good. Mini goals. Mini goals, which are achievable. You know, you're climbing the, you're taking the stairs, you're climbing those steps in a, I hope, a rationally organized way, which makes it more recognizable to that part of your brain that makes things happen, that co-creates with the laws of the universe. Wow, we're getting up there in the clouds. One of the things that you and I were having almost an argument about, like a debate argument, was the part of Ginny's book about asking for help. And you and I got into quite a discussion. Just this morning. Just this morning about reciprocal help and balancing the books. (laughs) Yes, balance. There's a word. And, Absolutely. Yeah, and and so I wanted you to to say a little bit about asking for help because I think you might get some pushback from this guy. <laughs> It'll be very gentle pushback, it, and it's not that I am going to question your facts. These are just alternative facts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that we just get into our rhythm and our, I got to do everything and I can't ask for help. And it, we love to help people and we know how it feels so good to help people, but sometimes it's hard to receive and we'll make up a lot of excuses in our head. It's going to take me too long to explain. I'm not even going to bother asking. You will come up with excuses. They don't have time. They're too busy. But I do think that you're really, you're, you're doing yourself a service and you know what, that other person, if they're too busy, they can always say no, you know, but it is really, it's being vulnerable to ask for help. And I do feel like we need that vulnerability to tap into that deeper part of ourselves that is, you know, kind of longing to receive, but definitely more comfortable giving. Yes, that's the short answer. 
I think especially for women, it is more comfortable to give than to receive. And we've talked to other people about that, uh, that very idea. Um, But, you know, I just don't see oftentimes where the books are balanced, where you can give and give and then suddenly I need some help. Oh, look at the time. I got to (laughs) go. That's what I found. I mean, I, you must have dealt with some people in your life, Jenny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I need, I want, I need. I'm like, what's, what about Bob? You know, Bill Murray's character. I need, I need, I want. And you supply that need of the moment. And then a week or two goes by. I really need help. Okay, you help them again. Then a third time. Oh, I'm in such a mess. Oh, could you help? All right, I'll help you again. Then when you need something, you go, you know what? I really helped that person. And maybe, maybe they want to give back. That would be good for our relationship. And it would sure get me out of a jam. And you call them and they're like, well, I'd really love to help. But you see, the thing is dot, dot, dot. Now, you've got to ask yourself a fundamental question at that point. Are your relationships serving you? Mm-hmm. And there is a like question which is how do I achieve balance in my relationships? Because if it's all going out and the rewards and benefits of friendship, of love relationships of all kinds is not coming back to me, I am by definition living an unbalanced life. And as you know, and I know, and Suzanne knows, that's no fun at all. Right. Gary, we teach people how to treat us. From the moment we start a relationship with them, we teach them. And if we have given and given and given to them, we've shown them that we would give and give and give without without expecting anything in return. So it really is up to us, as we love ourselves, to set healthy boundaries from the beginning in relationships. And I've, you know, I've had it hit me years later. Oh, wait a minute. I've been on this every time I'm on the phone with this girlfriend, she talks for two hours about herself in the last five minutes. It's, Oh, by the way, how are you? You know, like sometimes it does take a while to recognize the imbalance, but when we do, it's up to us to hopefully lovingly show the person how we want to be treated and really own that. And again, hopefully from a place of love, we can come from that and not, I did this, this, and this from you. And, you know, how come you can't do this for me? No one's going to really respond well to that, but really speak from a place of love of what our needs are. And there are people that are takers, you know, and really, you know, I've had, I've had clients, especially in the beginning of my career that I attracted to me that were very, very needy. And that was on me to show them and to set healthy boundaries because they would have emailed me 10 times a day if I allowed that. So really it is about us learning about ourselves too and learning that balance. And some people aren't going to be able to do that. And if you need to take a step back from a relationship, that's okay too, because if we keep helping them and and we're, we're showing them that they always need help, we're kind of enabling that behavior Rather than, you know what, this person is never going to show up for me. I know that. And what can I do now from that place? Gary, I think you must have done a lot of moving at some point of people in and out of their apartments. Because I can remember years ago when we first got together, you said, um, 
you know, who's going to help me move? You know, you had moved so many people and who was going to help you move when the time came. And when you did move, you had to hire moving people. Yeah. Yeah. That's what would happen. And then, and this happened since we got together, there was someone we knew through probably, if I'm going to be honest, more than one person that we knew through a church connection who would say, gosh, I'm going to spring for the beer and pizza. Can you guys help me move? I've got to get out of this house into the other house or this apartment into the next apartment, which is 20 miles away, whatever the situation was. Then I devised, I came up with a cunning plan. I decided that I would respond to all such requests in the following way. Sure, I can help you out. Here's how it works for me. You pay me $50 an hour and I have a three hour minimum. So uh, it'll be $150 minimum and then we'll see where it goes from there. Oh, hey, I found somebody else. It's cool. Hey, thanks. <laughs> well, you have a great weekend. Enjoy the beer and pizza. You know, because there are those who will use you. Do they do it out of some Machiavellian sense of manipulating the human race? Some of them do, and some of them are pretty good at it. And other people are just needy. Yeah. Agreed. And I love the, I loved your answer that you came up with. That's you setting healthy boundaries and yeah, not accepting anything else. That was born out of a situation where someone who was very generous said um, that he wanted both our helps in moving for a very sudden move. Like I need to be out like within a week or so long distance. And he said to both Gary and me, I'll pay you each $50 an hour to come pack up. And we did, we spent the day packing up this house. And, um, and, and so Gary said, I kind of like getting paid to help people. move." <laughs> I love it. <laughs> we we both earned a, a big fat check that day and and uh and so from then on there was not going to be any more free moving but that took one one very generous person who was in a very tight bind and and we said we would be there for them and they paid us so that was that was good a good reciprocity yes it absolutely you wanted to was. ask jenny about self-esteem I made a note here. Yeah, self-esteem. The great thing about self-esteem is having some. There, <laughs> <laughs> there, and, and here I must uh, say I'm indebted to the late, great Dr. Albert Ellis, who invented a psychotherapy. It's practiced worldwide, known as Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, REBT for short. And what Dr. Ellis propounded was the following. Self-esteem, and here I'm paraphrasing, but self-esteem essentially is a snare and a delusion. If you want to live your life successfully, you decide what you want. You do all the things that are prerequisite to success, follow through, don't be a procrastinator, and then you might well enjoy the fruits of your labor. And if you don't get everything you want, What's new in the human race? Okay, you might get most of what you want. Many times our, our successes are experienced by slow degrees or approximations rather than having it just land out of the sky in our laps. And sometimes we fail and then we pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off and carry on again. The reason why I said all of this is because 
people have a tendency and I am guilty many, many times over. I've had to really talk to myself about this. We have a tendency to believe that if someone shows signs of approval, they accept our offer for a date, they may hire us, they may choose to do business with us or become our roommate, any of a thousand examples I could give. And then something goes wrong. Well, in the beginning, when we had our first kiss, or when I gave you the key to be my roommate, and there we are sharing an apartment, life is good. But life is endless change. And if things go sour, are you going to feel more self-esteem? Are you going to feel less self-esteem? Or are you going to feel about the same because you are a self-reliant person who does not depend on the approval of others to think well of yourself? That's a key question that everyone needs to ask themselves at any time. Where am I on this spectrum of self-respect and self-acceptance at one end and self-esteem, which is really, as Ellis put it, other esteem because you invest too much in other people's opinions of you? Yeah, that's a mouthful. Yes. <laughs> and as a recovered people pleaser, I can relate a lot to that. And yes, we all do want validation and it's nice to get a compliment. It's nice to be appreciated, but that stuff do does have to come from within. I do feel like our higher self is always connected to that love and everything's okay and perfect, but yeah, it's an ongoing battle. I think for everyone, because life happens, you know, that, that dream job that you got, maybe it doesn't work out that dream relationship you had maybe, or a friendship that you're really excited about. Maybe it doesn't work out, but there's just that self-awareness of, okay, you know, relationships are two people. This isn't all about me or all about them. Like really being able to look at things in a way where there's no blame. I mean, blame has a lot to do with this too, just kind of acceptance. And it is really important that we have that self-awareness and that self-love to know we do deserve a good life and good relationships and, and happiness. And it really does kind of start going all the way back from to the beginning of the interview. It really is how we talk to ourselves every day that contributes to that. And are we going to let one instance totally change that and take us down the rabbit hole? Hopefully it won't forever, you know we're human, we might be really hurt by something, but if we can love ourselves at that point too, we think of, I always tell my clients, think of yourself as like, you're talking to a loved one, throw your arms around yourself, you know, give yourself yeah. an inner yes. hug. That was yeah. really hard, you know? And yes, yeah. a pivotal point for me in my healing with my mom was thrown, was the moment I was grieving her. And I said, Jet, I said to myself, Jen, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I bawled for an hour, you know, but it's that like compassion we have, we can have for ourselves that we don't often have. We extend it to others and often not ourselves. And that's something to look at in 2022. Here's another thing to look at in 2022. Jenny Mannion's book is called A Short Path to Change. 30 Ways to Transform Your Life. Jenny Mannion, and her last name is spelled M-A-N-N-I-O-N. -N it is available now. You will love it and you will benefit from it. A Short Path to Change. Jenny Mannion, thank, thank you so you. much. I hope we get together thank a bit you. later in the year. 
All I would right. love that. Thank you guys. We'll talk Wish again. You Happy New Year. Year. All right. Bye Thanks now. Well. And stay tuned for the Christine Upchurch show, followed a little later by American Road Trip Talk with host Carrie Mance. Happy New Year, everyone. Have a great weekend.